الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين الحمد لله حمدا يوافي نعمه ويكافئ مزيده الحمد لله عدد خلقه وزنة عرشه وكمال كلماته وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له هو الله الذي لا إله إلا هو عالم الغيب والشهادة هو الرحمن الرحيم وأشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا وأسوتنا محمدا صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبده ورسوله محمد رسول الله والذين معه الشداء على الكفار رحماء بينهم ولو كنت فضا غليظ القلب لن فض من حولك من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له ومن يعتصم بالله فقد هدي إلى صراط مستقيم أما بعد Dear committed Muslims, brothers and sisters Obviously the khutbah on Friday has to be placed in the context of our immediate existence and responsibilities and our postponed existence and consequences thereof. In other words, when we express ourselves on Friday, Whatever explanations of the ayat and the hadiths that we put forward are to be related by your common sense and knowledge to the developments that have been occurring in the past week and in the past period. some of which we mention in the second khutbah 
all of us when we stand in front of Allah Jalla wa'ala in our salah all of us say Alhamdulillah two simple words whatever the condition we are in you and me as individuals or we as Muslims and human beings in the world we say Alhamdulillah very simple words nothing complicated about them that's how we thank and praise Allah Jalla Shatnu. and when you th- give it a little thought if you wanted to thank someone another individual who did a favor to you did some good for the community for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when you want to thank that individual you begin to think in your mind how can I express my gratitude and my heartfelt appreciation for what this person has done so you think of words you think of sentences to express yourself Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made this a simple expression two words alhamdulillah two written words because there are three words alhamd and li and allah alhamdulillah very simple the simplicity is not in expressing the words themselves as much as it is in expressing the depth of the gratitude that we have towards Allah Azza wa Jal. Alhamdulillah. So when you say that and you're saying it, when you orient yourself towards Allah five times a day, what condition are you in? What pressure are you under? What's challenging you? What's getting on your nerves? If when you say Alhamdulillah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you mean that, saying something is one thing, meaning it is something else. When you place meaning in what you are saying, then all of this other stuff that's happening becomes secondary, becomes trivial. Alhamdulillah. And then you follow, we follow that up. All the Muslims, they're supposed to have meaning to it. It's not some, we're not recorders. When the time of prayer comes, we go through the recording that's not what it what it's all about so we follow that by saying Rabb al-alameen the sustainer of all the worlds we live in a world there are millions of other worlds that we know of and don't know of so we are extending our presence beyond ourselves 
the worlds of the shahada and the worlds of al ghaib who lives in the world of microbes who lives in the nano world who lives in a world we cannot see or in a world we cannot hear allah ta'alat hikmatu is broadening our phobia we become phobic when people begin to become nervous about certain things that are happening to them or around them that means their nervousness expresses the fact that they are not in the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so even when they do pray and repeat al-fatiha with its extensive meanings they are not they are not conscious and they are not fervent about what they are saying alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen ar-rahman ar-rahim we begin everything bismillahi ar-rahman ar-rahim now use your mind let's let's work our minds a little allah has 99 attributes 99 descriptions asma'ullahi al-husna out of these 99 he chose two for us to always repeat whatever we say or whatever we do every effort in life we are supposed to be conscious that this effort is begins and is done with the name of Allah that is further qualified as ar-rahman ar-rahim the source of mercy and the mercy giving the mercy giver the extremely merciful out of all of Allah's attributes he chose these two Allah's attributes generally speaking are in two categories the attributes of Jamal and the attributes of Jalal Allah's beautiful descriptions and Allah's majestic descriptions Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim they fall within Allah's beautiful descriptions and if you and I were thinking a little more about this in our real lives when you meet someone or when you think about someone you think about i mean in normal conditions obviously you think about 
what is appealing in that person, what is beautiful in that person. Let's say you and I meet sometime, somewhere. We come face to face, we're speaking to each other. I don't think about what is maybe uncomfortable to think about. When you speak, what I'm going to say right now is just trying to explain something. Please don't add or subtract from it and don't think here we are nastaghfirullah we are trying to say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is like a human being na'udhu billah wa nastaghfirullah when you meet someone you look at that person and you try to interact with what is appealing about the person maybe their good looks maybe their smiles maybe their optimism these things when you when you speak in, in, when you encounter and speak when you interact with a person do you ever think about what's in the person's colon does anyone ever think about that even though it's a fact human beings have waste inside of them but no one thinks about the waste inside the person when you're speaking to him or her, whatever. So it is this maybe non-observable fact of life that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to think about when we think about him. His attributes of beauty Bismillahir Rahman Rahim other attributes of Allah, of Allah Bismillahir Jabbar Al Qahar that's Al Jabbar and Al Qahar are attributes of Allah no doubt it's a fact and we're not running away from those attributes and we are not demeaning those attributes what we are saying is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his everlasting wisdom chose to have us repeat two of his attributes whenever we embark on any effort in life. We begin our salah, our fatiha, Bismillahir Rahman Ar Rahim. And then we repeat it in the surah. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim But many of us are in the fast lane of life. We just do not pay enough attention. And in this regard, we would wish we were children to learn from children. We can learn from children, from their innocence, from their observations. When they see something for the first time, they try to understand it. And that effort at understanding was not polluted because nowadays the social media and the public information, the mainstream mass media enters into them and tries to subvert that innocence 
in their age of purity. Has any one of us just took the time to go to a child, a five-year-old, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, an eight-year-old, just go to them, look in their faces, bring them something new, and see how they interact in those moments. Precious moments indeed. Moments that we have lost on ourselves. We once were children. And if we have a memory that's strong enough, we may be able to remember some of those moments, some of those precious moments in life. And when we read the Fatiha, when we read Allah's words, we should be like these children who are curious about what meaning does this have for me, for the world, for existence, for life. What meaning is there in this? Instead of being overrun by the haste that we are all in. And the description of Rahma and its cousins in the Quran, Maghfira and Tawbah, Al-Ghafoor, Al-Wadud, Al-Tawwab, all of these meanings, they, ha- they have to gain a fertility in us, which unfortunately they don't have. I am going to bring you one of the news items that's in the books of hadith. Now I said before and I will say it repeatedly. The books of hadith need our collective mental energy and our collective sincerity to place the hadiths in the environment of the Qur'an. So one of these hadiths, I'm not saying this is an authentic hadith, but it has an authentic meaning to it. killed the uncle of the Prophet of Allah Hamza in the battle of Uhud. His name was Wahshi. This person later on came to Allah's Prophet. He said to him, Wahshi said to the Prophet, أَتَيْتُكَ مُسْتَجِيرًا فَأَجِرْنِي I came to you seeking your protection. Grant it to me. حَتَّى أَسْمَعَ كَلَامَ اللَّهِ So that I can listen to Allah's words. 
The Prophet answered him, قَدْ كُنْتُ أُحِبُّ أَنْ أَرَاكَ عَلَى غَيْرِ جِوَارِ I would have preferred to see you not within my protection. فَأَمَّا إِذْ أَتَيْتَنِي مُسْتَجِيرًا فَأَنْتَ فِي جِوَارِ But now that you have came to me asking for my protection, you are now in my protection. حَتَّى تَسْمَعَ كَلَامَ اللَّهِ Until you listen to the words of Allah. Then Wahshi says to the Prophet, فَإِنِّي أَشْرَكْتُ بِاللَّهِ وَقَتَلْتُ النَّفْسَ الَّتِي حَرَّمَ اللَّهِ وَزَنَيْتِ هَلْ يَقْبَلُ اللَّهُ مِنِّي تَوْبَةِ He says, the following. Wahshi is saying to the Prophet, I am guilty of shirk in Allah. Meaning he equated other deities and authorities in his life to Allah. And I have killed innocent souls that Allah has forbidden to be killed. And I've committed adultery. Will Allah accept repentance from me? The Prophet was silent. And then an ayah responded to this type of psychology and mentality and character. The ayah is not in response to one individual even though it is in response to one individual initially, but it's in response to every type of individuals who have that type of personality as Wahshi, his type of past, his type of crimes, and his type of bad behavior. وَالَّذِينَ لَا يَدْعُونَ مَعَ اللَّهِ إِلَهًا آخر. وَلَا يَقْتُلُونَ النَّفْسَ الَّتِي حَرَّمَ اللَّهِ إِلَّا بِالْحَقِّ وَلَا يَزْنُونَ وَمَنْ يَفْعَلْ ذَلِكَ يَلْقَ أَثَامًا يُضَاعَفْ لَهُ الْعَذَابُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ وَيَخْلُدْ فِيهِ مُهَانًا إِلَّا مَنْ تَابَ وَآمَنَ وَعَمِلَ صَالِحًا فَأُولَئِكَ يُبَدِّلُ اللَّهُ سَيِّئَاتِهِمْ حَسَنَاتٍ وَكَانَ اللَّهُ غَفُورًا رَحِيمًا I know it's going to take a little time to mention the meaning of this ayah in English. Allah is saying, and those who do not evoke anyone besides Allah as deity and authority and do not kill anyone outside the dictates of justice and do not commit adultery whoever does any of this are going to obviously find the negative punishment that will come their way. A punishment that will be multiplied on the day of resurrection 
a punishment wherein they shall abide forever except except Whoever comes to Allah, even though they've done all of that that we just said, and they express their regret profoundly not to do any of that again, and they commit themselves to Allah, then Allah is going to change their sayyat into hasanat. Whatever they did that was wrong is going to be turned around, is going to be considered to their advantage. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ غَفُورًا رَحِيمًا Allah has been and is always غَفُورًا رَحِيمًا Ghafoor is one who effaces the bad things that you did, erases them. Okay, you did something bad that was in the past, it's over. Don't worry about it. Rahima, he presents you with his rahma so that you will not do it again. Ghafooran Rahima. Wahshi listened. The Prophet, the answer to Wahshi's question was an ayah. The Prophet quoted the ayah. Then what did Wahshi say? He said, Ara shartan. I see that there's a condition here in the meaning in the ayah. He said, the ayah says, to do what is salih, what is right and righteous. Wahshi said, but what if I'm not able to do that? I'm staying in your protection, O Muhammad, until I hear further from Allah. Subhanallah. Then the ayah. إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَغْفِرُ أَنْ يُشْرَكَ بِهِ وَيَغْفِرُ مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءَ Allah doesn't forgive anyone for the crime of shirk. You equate, you associate, you put on par anyone or anything with Allah as deity or authority, that's not going to be acceptable to Allah. إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَغْفِرُ أَنْ يُشْرَكَ بِهِ وَيَغْفِرُ مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءَ But beyond that, anything else Allah will forgive. Anything. وَيَغْفِرُ مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءَ وَمَنْ يُشْرِكْ بِاللَّهِ فَقَدْ افْتَرَى إِثْمًا عَظِيمًا So this is the magnitude of the crime of shirk. You can't. You can't. No one can. So, Wahshi listened. Wahshi said, فَلَعَلِّي مِمَّنْ لَا يَشَاءَ 
You see, the ayah, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَغْفِرُ أَنْ يُشْرَكَ بِهِ وَيَغْفِرُ مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ Allah were short of shirk. Allah will forgive anyone if he wills. So Wahshi is saying, but what if Allah does not will for me to be forgiven? Now this is a person, even though he has a criminal past, I mean, killing the Prophet's uncle, what more crime do you want than that? Participating in a war against Muslims, committed Muslims, prophetic Muslims. But he's listening. These are not ayat that, you know, just someone stating some ayat and will just pass by and no one's, no, he's thinking. So he asks, what if I'm not one of those that Allah wills to be forgiven? He repeats one, the, for the third time, I'll stay in your protection until I listen further to what Allah has to say. And then the ayah, Oh my subjects who have engaged or you've been excessively involved in the material world satisfying yourselves your lusts your desires whatever you were doing don't give up on Allah's Rahmah. Don't lose hope in Allah's Rahmah. Inna Allah yaghfiru dhunuba jami'a. Allah will forgive all sins and mistakes. Once again, إِنَّهُ هُوَ الْغَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ As we said, this is one sample from the life of Allah's Prophet concerning a criminal personality. And later on we know he participated on the side of Muslims fighting against the mushriks and the kafirs that he used to belong to. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. No one knows. But if there are people, as much as they are criminals, if they are willing to reconsider honestly, sincerely, in the depth of them, they are willing to reconsider, the door is opened. It will always be opened for them. They can become healthy individuals, rehabilitate themselves in life. I say this because we have criminals, real criminals, that make Wahshi look very good in his criminality, who are involved and getting involved in future wars, in current wars and in future wars.
What will happen if one day in the future, only Allah knows Al-Ghayb, but if one day in the future they did a wahshi on us, they come and say, this is what we did. Is Allah going to accept from us our tawbah? What, how are we going to address them? How, what's the answer to their question? Are we going to be mature enough to remember these ayat when that time comes? And it's coming. With all that is happening, in the presence of Allah, a smile remains on everyone's face. That's if they are in the company of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When the Muslims were digging the trench in Al-Madinah, that was an existential threat of the Muslims. The Muslims knew that they may not survive this combined effort. Al-Ahzab, all the powers in the Arabian Peninsula, Yahud and the Mushrikeen, all of them coming to finish off the Muslims. When they were striking the ground and there were sparks showing, the Prophet at that moment was speaking about the Muslims liberating Faris and Rum, the empires that were on their frontiers. In that condition, you'd think they're going to maybe be finished after all of this force has come together. And he's telling them, what if I'm to tell you that you will be out in the future in those distant land as liberators? This is the history that some people say, of course, this is as far as the Muslim external policies are concerned, not to be confused with internal policies. This is where some people, they want to overlook the deviation of the dynasties because there was some progress in foreign policy. They want to justify the brutality of internal policies by the progress of foreign policies. And then on the other hand, there are those who want to look askance, look the other way, say, no, the Muslims didn't you know, achieve anything. This was a loss. That Islam really didn't count because the internal policies are supposed to blindside us to the external ones. Let's be an integrated, a wholesome Islamic character and identify what is wrong internally when it is wrong and what is right externally when it is right. Let's have this schismatic split that we are in. Muslims are living a schismatic existence. And it's in this schismatic area that they are coming with their forces to have us war against each other and kill ourselves. And we can't, we're not, if, if we're supposed to be inside a masjid, we're not supposed to say these types of things. This is where we are, this is the real world. 
أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله لي ولكم ودعوه سبحانه وأنتم على يقين بالعجابة وتوبوا إلى الله إن الله تواب رحيم الحمد لله الذي هدى وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا المصطفى وعلى آله وصحبه أولي النهى وأولي التقى An amplified character of Wahshi has come from the Arabian Peninsula to his masters here and in other parts of the world. But currently he's here in the United States. And he's saying that his country is living in a transitional time period. We agree. It's living in it, but it's not the way he thinks. He thinks that the Arabian Peninsula is going to transition into the materialism of modernity. That's his ambition. And you can see the policies that are being set into motion. The contracts that are being signed. What are we Muslims are supposed to We are expected to, when people are sharpening their knives to come after us, we are expected to look the other way and say, no, really, nothing is happening here. The world is fine. Hundreds of billions of dollars are being drained from Islamic resources through the royal rulers in Arabia to do what? What do they want to do? It satisfies them to see Muslims bleeding all over. That's what satisfies them. The president here in this country with all the news that is circulating around we don't see the moral fabric there are moral Christians there are moral Jews and there are moral Muslims whether they are religious or whether they are not religious why can't they speak truth to this president the least they can say he's an adulterer and a fornicator is he not are we making things up but what happened to the moral fiber in this society that they can't see who their chief executive is using biblical language they can't do that What's the value of the Bible that you read? What's the value of the Torah? What's the value of the Gospel? What's the value of the Quran? If we see a 
fornicator and an adulterer and we can't identify him. Ask yourself. Now, we've said this in the past two or three khutbas that airplanes are going to be flying over Arabia between India and Israel. And it has come to pass. This week, they actually flew over. What's the next thing we want to see? The Israeli planes flying over Arabia to India? And to add insult to injury, how about having them fly over Mecca and Al Medina? Going and coming. How far are we going to take it? Recently, that regime, the royals in Arabia, they've placed two more conditions on Saudi women who want to marry what they call foreigners. And it's interesting to define who a foreigner is. Where do you get their definition from? A Muslim from Pakistan is a foreigner. A Muslim from Egypt is a foreigner. A Muslim from any other country outside of Saudi Arabia, they may make a little exception for their nephews in the Gulf. All of these are foreigners. Where did this come from? Is there any Islamic justification for saying another Muslim is a foreigner? But that's what they have in their laws. So what do they tell us in this new new law that they came up with? A Muslim Saudi woman cannot be over 50 years old to marry a foreigner. That means any other Muslim who's not a Saudi. That's a foreigner. So she can't marry. If she's over 50 years old, a Muslim Saudi woman, she's 51 years old or more. She wants to marry some other Muslim. That law that they say is Islamic, remember they pride themselves on implementing Sharia law. They tell her, no, you can't do that. Well, where's your justification from the Quran or from the Sunnah that a Muslim woman who chooses to marry a Muslim man and she's over 50 years old, who told her she can't do that? The other condition is if a Saudi woman wants to marry a foreigner, the difference in age cannot be more than 15 years. Once again, where in Islamic jurisprudence, in Islamic fiqh, in Islamic references, where does it say this, this has to be the condition? Speak to us. Tell us. Qul <laughs> 
in kuntum sadiqeen. Obviously, they have no no grounds for what they are doing. Their ministry of justice came out with a survey in the year for the year 2016 said the number of Saudi women who are marrying foreigners meaning non-Saudi men is about 3,500 and that's the same number of Saudi men who are marrying non-Saudi women and in their own report they say Saudi women who are marrying non-Saudi men are more happy and stable in their marriages than the Saudi men who are marrying non-Saudi women and look at the law they come up with instead of putting uh, we're not justifying what they are doing or what they are legalizing but if they had just a, if their minds were just working they would try to apply some laws to their own men whose marriages are showing symptoms of failure than their own women this week will be the finish of three years of war and the beginning of a fourth year of war by the Saudi war criminals and this is a report by Amnesty International the word war criminals some Muslims will say oh why are you saying they are war criminals they think anytime a Muslim wants to try to be accurate they come and say ah Look at Muslim, they're given to exaggeration and hyperbole. This is no hyperbole. Amnesty International said the United States and the United Kingdom are probably responsible for war crimes in Yemen. That word probably means there needs to be the United Nations or an independent body that can go in and verify all these crimes. There's more than reason to believe. We know there are war crimes. But these people who are not Muslims speaking from the comfort of their own offices in the U.S. or in Europe, they come and say, you know, we think that there are war, U.S. and U.K. are, are involved in war crimes in Yemen. And just... This week, this MBS goes to the Pentagon and the chief in the Pentagon tells him, we think you have to somehow end this war in Yemen. That's what they're saying in public. We don't know what they're saying behind closed doors. And now there's information indicating that the puppet president of Yemen, Hadi, who is in Saudi Arabia, he may be under house arrest. And there are ministers now, some of them resigned, some of them thinking about leaving because of the Saudi dictatorship. 
And by the way, Palestine doesn't figure in anymore into the Saudi policies that they used to satisfy satisfy with words, sweet words that they give Palestinians. Now we, we hope, we pray that the Palestinians can see through the nifaq of the Saudi ruling family and as an end note here there's a Salafi he's considered to be the chief Salafist in Algeria who gave a fatwa type of official religious edict saying that the Sufis and the Ash'aris and the Ikhwan are all Kafirs. This is what we need now? Is this what we need? We need another war in Algeria where Muslims kill Muslims? Doesn't this imbecile understand that he is offering a free service? to the enemies of the Muslims and of course there are more sober-minded Islamic personalities in Algeria who came together and said well look we have to look at and see because this person has millions some say a couple of million some say several million Algerian followers and what's peculiar about him there's no picture of him Nothing, no, no, he says because, you know, a a picture is haram. So he forbid anyone from taking a picture of him. No one knows where he is. No one can approach, it reminds us of some of these mythical characters in some of our early histories who created all of this trouble for us that we are still living with today. And for those who uh, want to know his name, at least his name is known. His name is Muhammad Ali Farkus. They, they haven't had enough Muslim blood flowing. They want more Muslim blood flowing. And behind all of this are these Saudi types. Why can't he speak? This same person, this Salafi in Algeria... Why can't he speak against, he speaks against bid'ahs and he speaks against dhalal and all this. He can't see the bid'ahs and the dhalal in those who are ruling in the Arabian Peninsula. Somehow these Salafists are known for the silence of the graves when it comes to speaking truth to power. And this is one of them. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna tiba'ah. وأرنا الباطل باطلا وارزقنا اجتنابه ولا تجعله ملتبسا علينا وجعلنا للمتقين إماما ربنا وسعت كل شيء رحمة وعلما رحمة وعلما فاغفر للذين تابوا واتبعوا سبيلك وقهم عذاب الجحيم 
ربنا وأدخلهم جنات عدن التي وعدتهم ومن صلح من آبائهم وأزواجهم وذرياتهم إنك أنت العزيز الحكيم ربنا لا تجعل في قلوبنا غلا للذين آمنوا ربنا إنك رؤوف رحيم ربنا إنك رؤوف رحيم ربنا افتح بيننا وبين قومنا بالحق وأنت خير الفاتحين ربنا صل على محمد وآل محمد وبارك على محمد وآل محمد كما صليت وباركت على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله 